Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on the podcast we like to call Space Nuts. My name's Andrew Dunkley, and joining me, as always, is Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Good day, Andrew. <laughs> Have you got all your teeth in? <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I've got more in than I had this time yesterday. <laughs> oh, that's good. That actually sounds weird, coming back from a dentist and having more teeth than when you went in. Well, it's a long story, Andrew, um, which, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that listeners to <laughs> our podcast will want to know the details, but I've got this tooth that insists on periodically falling out, and it's been doing it since 2015. Oh, my word. Uh, when it does, I just go and get it glued back, back in again. In again. <laughs> yeah, so Don't you love modern technology? Yeah, the technology is quite astounding, I yeah. have to say. Astonishing Gosh. stuff. All right, well, stop eating toffee or whatever it is that's causing the problem. <laughs> I gave that up years ago yeah. for the same reason. Yeah. Now, we are going to talk about a few rather fascinating things today, uh, one of them being the... Um, idea of colonizing the moon and it's being put forward by a very 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 rich man yes uh, uh, we're going to uh, talk about uh, the the dinosaur asteroid now we've spoken about it before it, it hit the deck uh in the gulf of Me what is now the gulf of mexico and even though we now know it didn't absolutely and utterly kill the dinosaurs outright it was part of their demise but it also had other effects and we're going to talk about that and we've had a question asking uh, if we could explain a bit more about the wow signal now we've talked about the wow signal in the past and i uh, we got a message on facebook about it and do you think i can find the episode do you think no <laughs> so I, I said look um we'll just talk about it again because <laughs> it's such a great story. So we're going to talk about the wow signal. But first, um, we are going to uh, look at colonising the moon. This is an idea that's been put forward by, uh, I think he's the richest man in the world. I believe he is, Andrew. And his name is, of course, Jeff Bezos. He is the, uh, the, the founder of Amazon, uh, which is a relatively ubiquitous company. And apparently he's worth, wait for it, $176 billion. And I think that's, uh, I don't know whether that's Australian or US. doesn't really matter, does oh, it? It doesn't really. Uh, when you're talking <laughs> that kind of money, conversions just have no influence whatsoever. They, they don't so he's worth $176 and his company so far has paid me $1.21 in royalties. Oh, very good. Well, there you go. You're getting your fair share then. Yeah. <laughs> Can't retire yet. <laughs> Sorry about that. Mm. Um, so, um, of course, he's not only the founder of, of Amazon, but also the foundry, sorry, the founder, and indeed the foundry probably as well, of an aerospace company, uh, which is called Blue Origin. And Blue Origin 
makes rockets, basically, and uh, indeed they are venturing into the space tourism business. Um, like uh, that other well-known entrepreneur uh, who founded uh, SpaceX, um, we, we have a person here with the aim of bringing down the cost of space travel, bringing down the cost of, uh, you know, of, of launching. So, um, and, and the, the way Blue Origin is doing it is much the same as, as the way SpaceX is doing it. And that is to pioneer the idea of bringing back the launch vehicle to Earth and landing it safely on its tail and essentially um, reusing it for future you know, future launches. Mm. So when when all these competing companies have brought the cost down uh, sufficiently that we can all get into a space rocket and go into space, uh, Jeff Bezos has, has got his sights set on the moon, um, which uh, once again contrasts with SpaceX's vision, which is to get people to Mars. Uh, but uh, Jeff Bezos really wants to look at the moon as potentially, uh, um, you know, a, a place where we could do manufacturing um, and s essentially set up factories on the moon, uh, partly because the moon is, uh, you know, it's, it's got gravity, so you can build things there. It's not a tiny world that stuff will float off. But uh, but, but, but it, it lends itself to to things that uh, actually, um, you know, manufacturing processes that are not uh, conducive to, to being used on Earth and where the, the, the reduced gravity actually comes to your assistance. Uh, plus the fact that there's water there, um, there's low temperatures in the poles if you want them, uh, and, uh, well, he just thinks it's generally a good idea. Now, I don't know whether that is true or not, that it's a good idea, but I do like the idea of being able to send astronauts back to the moon. Yeah, and there's certainly talk of, uh, I think it's China doing that in the not-too-distant future. Uh, yeah. But how realistic is it, Fred, to put a colony on the moon and, and stay there long term? Because, uh, yeah, okay, it has gravity, but it's not nearly as significant as the gravity on Earth that we are adapted to and have spent thousands of years living with as a, as a species. So we are made for 1G. So what happens if you live long term on a moon yep. that does not have one G? You've only got one sixth of a G. Yeah, um, uh, th that's correct. Uh, so so what you're talking about here, and I think what Jeff Bezos is talking about, is not um, so much colonizing the moon as using it as a base for industry, which probably involves robotic technologies. OK. Um, and that's is really what he has in mind. And, and I, I guess, you know, one of the other issues that comes from this is the fact that uh, solar power is will be readily available on the moon uh, because there is water there. We know in near the poles there's there's actually water uh, on the surface, uh, frozen water, uh, but actually there's water in the rocks as well. Uh, because of those, um, you know, th those attributes, you can imagine for certain types of industries, and I'm not really quite sure what he has in mind here, but for certain types of industries, you could have really autonomous operation with things happening on their own and maybe, you know, just a small crew of, of astronauts looking after things. So it, it's more of a, an extension of the Apollo missions than the idea of colonizing Mars, sorry, colonizing the moon in the same way as people are talking about colonizing Mars.
Yeah, and he's talking about putting like a billion dollars a year into this, which is yeah. chump change to him, I suppose. But uh, yeah, right. if you've got the money, it's uh, it, it's probably something worth investigating because the moon is rich and Indeed, untapped. that's right. Yes, that's the other thing. You know, people are interested in things like helium-3, the isotope that's uh, found on the moon and, and not elsewhere. Mm. Um, gosh, do you think he can pull it off? I bet he does. You, you reckon he will? <laughs> his, his Blue Origin uh, project is going great guns. It's uh, giving certainly, you know, the tourism aspect of that, which is sending people up to uh, in suborbital flight to look at the Earth from, from space. Um, that is uh, rivaling what Virgin Galactic are doing. And Virgin Galactic seem to be on the point of starting to take space tourists up. But I think um, I think Blue Origin is not far behind. Now, he's talking... Now, this isn't going to happen next week. Uh, he's talking maybe having this happen within 100 years. So That's he's obviously right. not going to be around unless, yes. unless he knows something that we don't uh, to, to <laughs> see this fulfilled. But he's obviously willing to uh, put the, the money in and, and make it happen for the future. So, yeah, um, I think that's right. The, the, you know, it's a similar situation to Elon Musk. It's a, a person with extreme wealth and a great interest in the future of humankind and inspiring people to to do these outrageous things. Who knows where it will take us? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, but it will be interesting. Um, all right, well, hopefully there'll be more on this, but maybe we won't be around to have that discussion. <laughs> but, I, I, um, we'll see. I think that's right. Mm. All right, you're listening to Space Nuts. Uh, Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, Express VPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined Express VPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash Space. That's T R Y E X P R E S S V P N dot com slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more, and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now, back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. 
Space nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to talk about a thing that happened uh, 66-odd million years ago, uh, which we have talked about before. This is the dinosaur asteroid which struck Earth and basically changed the, the planet for most of the living creatures upon it and uh, sort of was the death knell for the uh, the dinosaurs, amongst other things. Didn't wasn't the absolute reason they died, but it certainly finished them off. But something else happened, which they've discovered through fossil records, and, and this um, kind of leads us to where we are today in some respects and some of the issues we're facing on the planet. And that was a temperature increase. Exactly, that's right. Uh, so this is, I, I think this is a really interesting story. It's one of, um, it is one of a, a pair of papers that has recently been published uh, relating to the details of the asteroid, uh, the asteroid impact 66 million years ago. We might talk about the, ne- the other one next week, actually. If, yeah, sure. Uh, if uh, we have the chance to do that. Uh, but this one really turns conventional wisdom on its head um, because the bottom line is, Uh, Yes, the dinosaurs, we believe, were finished off by an asteroid impact 66 million years ago. There's ample... To the the day. Mm. uh, To the day. It was on a Wednesday. Uh, There's there's ample... It's probably the 1st of April, actually. Yeah, probably. We we won't go there. (laughs) Um, There's ample evidence uh, for that uh, impact event and for its catastrophic effect on the dinosaur population. Um, there's also, though, evidence, as you've you've just hinted at in your intro, that that other things were happening then. There were, um, you know, within the the previous million years or so, there've been really big geological upsets in the Earth. The the Deccan Traps, uh, which is a, a series of volcanoes in India, had had been erupting and had flooded that half that continent with uh, or subcontinent with with molten lava, a bit like what's going on in Hawaii at the moment. Oh only yes. Much, much grander scale. So all that was uh, essentially stressing the population of dinosaurs. And then, lo and behold, a 15-kilometer asteroid comes out of the blue, uh, lands in what is now the Gulf of Mexico, and wipes them out. That's sort of all relatively conventional wisdom. What what we most of us think happened, or most of us until now have thought happened after that, mm was that it was the drop in temperature that killed the dinosaurs, the Earth's ambient temperature falling as a result of um, the the amount of sediment and rock um, and soil and seabed, because it was actually in a shallow sea where the asteroid landed, all that stuff being flung into the atmosphere because of the huge amount of energy that was released by the impact. Yeah, it's just hard to imagine the plume. From that that's impact. Right. Just I think, yeah, yeah. mind-boggling. Um, would quite a plume, that's and, right. And, and yes, you would you would naturally think like nuclear winter effect. It's exactly that. You th- throw all this stuff up into the atmosphere, uh, all this, you know, the aerosols and the particles, they sit up there at high altitudes and essentially reduce what we call the insulation, the amount of uh, sunlight falling on the Earth's surface. So the temperature drops. The dinosaurs, which are cold-blooded creatures, say, oh, we don't like this much, and and very quickly, uh, probably within 100,000 years or so, the the species dies out. Mm. 
but but the new evidence comes from a place actually quite a long way from the impact site itself, a place in northern Tunisia. It's called El Kef, and El Kef is rich in fossils and microfossils, uh, and has been explored um, in detail by a number of scientists, most notably uh, professors from the University of Missouri in the, in the U.S. Uh, this is really quite extraordinary stuff because what they've done is looked at the fossilized remains of fish. Um, these are fish fossils and they're, they're kind of broken up fish fossils. They're, they're mostly small fragments. And they've looked at the details of these fish fossils um, both below and above what we call the Cretaceous tertiary boundary. And that's the geological layer that corresponds to the time when the dinosaurs uh, were wiped out. In fact, it's that layer which is rich in iridium that comes from space rather than the Earth. That's how people know that it's it's an asteroid. That goes back to the late 1970s, that discovery. Anyway, uh, these scientists have looked at these sand grain-sized pieces of fish fossils and um, have realized that they can deduce some interesting things about the environment that these fish lived in. So there are, there are fish fossils before the impact and fish fossils after the impact. And they uh, can actually use an isotope of oxygen called oxygen 18 to deduce the temperature of the water in which these fish were living. Work that one out. No, I, I'm right it, on it. I, I know a, what you're talking about. <laughs> it is. It's a. It's um. It's not an obvious link, but the you know it's to do with the way the fish actually build the minerals by chemical reactions in in all the the hard bits, their teeth, their bones, and things of that sort. So by measuring the amounts of this oxygen isotope, uh, you can actually, in the fish fossils, you can actually tell what the temperature was of the water that they lived in. And sure sure enough, um, the... The 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 the, the, um, the kind of ambient temperature before the impact was in the region of 20 to 25 degrees Celsius. It's kind of um, rather warmer than the current uh, average amb- ambient temperature of the Earth, which is about 15 Celsius. But this is in this region of uh, of uh, northern um, uh, northern tu- Tunisia, which is sort of fairly equatorial. So they 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 worked out, yes, the temperature before the impact was in this 20 to 25 degree region, but afterwards it went up by about five degrees Celsius. So wow. the water so it, it went from 20 to 25 to 25 to 30. That, yes, that's right. That's correct. That's pretty staggering. I think it is as well. It's a, a big change. You know, we, we're talking about tenths of a degree change and the effect it has on our climate. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, global uh, anthropic global warming. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, That's warming the climate, but uh, at at a rather slow rate compared with what happened uh, immediately after the asteroid impact. And the thinking behind why this should be Instead of, you know, the, the fact that you've got particles um, shading the Earth's surface from the sun, what you've actually got instead, well, that you do get that, but that, that collapses out of or falls out of the atmosphere relatively quickly. Uh, so the long-term effects of the, of the particulate debris in the atmosphere are not very long-term. They're relatively short-term, perhaps 100 years at the most. Right. Whereas the 
the effect that they're seeing lasted for 100,000 years, uh, long enough to, to knock the dinosaurs on the head because of this dramatic change in the climate. And the scientists think that it came from the fact that not only were there particles put up into the atmosphere, but also carbon dioxide, that oh. the impact released carbon dioxide um, and probably methane as well, which is another greenhouse gas, that probably these gases were released into the atmosphere in very large quantities. And you've got very rapid warming because of that. Um, the greenhouse effect kicks in and the earth warms up. Uh, so, very so basically what we are saying as a result of this discovery is, hey, you know, this happened to the dinosaurs because of an asteroid. And yes. hello, Stop and smell the roses because it's happening again and it's not an asteroid, but it doesn't matter. It's the same effect. Yes, it is. Um, in fact, the, it's very likely that the dinosaur impact uh, had a, a much more rapid effect than we're having, although we are having um, the most rapid effect in, you know, in the historical record uh, within recent, recent millennia. Um, in fact, you might put it, a bit more than that and talk about recent millennia. Yeah. Uh, certainly the, uh, you know, the asteroid impact had a very dramatic uh, effect on the Earth's atmosphere, produced mass extinctions. We too are having a dramatic effect on the Earth's atmosphere and we're also producing mass extinctions only not quite as quickly. Uh, yeah, and um, the, the problem we have is we kind of in denial about it. I know everyone's talking about it and everyone thinks that something's being done about it, but... I think the jury's out on that uh, debate and there are still the, uh, a great number of people who just don't believe it. Indeed, that's true. So that is a concern. Um, so ask the dinosaurs what it's like. Yeah, well, we can't. They'll die. <laughs> oh, that's right. They've gone. Yeah. Nothing they could do about it, but we can do something about it. And I guess that's that's where it lies. And if we don't and everything goes to, you know, down the gurgler, We'll only have ourselves to blame and we'll have children and grandchildren who will, yeah, have a lot to say about it. Anyway, that's another argument for another day, but a uh, fascinating story about uh, the effect of the um, dinosaur asteroid. And, and as Fred said, there's another story uh, floating around about the dinosaur uh, asteroid, so we'll have a look at that next week. You're listening to Space Nuts, Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems and getting with a go. Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, time to dip into the email bag. Ruffle, ruffle, ruffle. And today... <laughs> We've got a note from uh, Tom Newitt. Now, Tom uh, sent me a message uh, via our Facebook page. Hi, I love the show. Have you considered doing an episode on the WOW signal? I found this very interesting and would love, love to hear your perspectives on it. Um, Tom, yes, we have. Thanks for writing and we'll see you all next week. Actually, um, we do want to talk about it again because I went looking for that episode to send a link to Tom and I could not find it. I'm so well, frustrated. I know it's there somewhere, but um, I thought... It's stolen uh, by aliens, it, Yeah, what... probably. It, and then I thought, hey, you know what? It's probably easier just to talk about it again because it was so long ago. Now, the WOW signal was a narrowband radio signal that was received um, by a listening device on the 15th of August 1977. And the reason it's called the WOW signal is because when they read the... Um, the uh, Printout. Printer. Yeah. Uh, he wrote wow on it. And the, so that's... hence the wow signal. But there's a lot more to it than that, Fred. 
Uh, yeah, that's actually you've, you've summarised it very, very well. Um, because well, I thought because uh, we've was, done it before, we'll, we'll just fast forward through all that stuff. That's right. <laughs> so it was the radio telescope in question was uh, operated by Ohio State University. It has the wonderful name of the Big Ear uh, because in those days you listened to radio signals. Now, now we use radio telescopes to make maps of the sky that look just like images. Yeah. Uh, whereas in those days you were definitely listening uh, for a, a signal and uh, exactly. Exactly as you've said, the astronomer who was working on the telescope at the time, his name was uh, uh, Jerry Amon, I think is the way his name is pronounced. Um, he was looking through the records, a printout, and saw this enormous signal which lasted for 72 seconds and wrote the word wow next to it with an exclamation mark, and it's still called the wow signal. It's it's interesting when you look at the details. So it lasted, as I said, for 72 seconds. And that is a significant number because uh, the the way this big ear telescope worked was it sort of just looked in a fixed direction from the Earth and let the sky go past, if you see what I mean. So as as the Earth rotates, the sky looks as though it's going past. It's why the sun rises and sets and all the rest of it. Uh, And so... Um, with the what you might call the field of view of that telescope, the amount of sky that it can see, um, a signal that is fixed on the sky or a source of a signal fixed on the sky would track uh, in 72 seconds. So what it means is that this thing didn't just last for 72 seconds. It was probably blasting out before that and after it. But the the Big Ear telescope just captured the part of it when it was in its own field of view. Um, That's kind of as much as is certain, really, because, uh, you know, there there are other aspects you can can uh, concentrate on, like the frequency of the signal, and this is in terms of of the, the frequency of the radio waves, uh, that are being uh, measured. Um, a number of different values have been given for that, but they're, they're, they're basically the same as the frequency that is given by natural hydrogen in space. Um, this is actually at um, 1420 megahertz is the, is the signal. We usually talk about wavelength as well, which is 21 centimeters. Uh, space is pervaded by this hydrogen signal uh, because there's so much hydrogen out there in the universe. So it was the same frequency frequency is that, but it was much, much, much more intense. It was a very, very big uh, intensity signal. So, okay, that's as much as we know for certain. What about the hypotheses as to what it, what it was? Well, the wow uh, is a good indication of what uh, the astronomer thought. Yeah, maybe this is the first sign of extraterrestrial intelligence. Um, it's still a possibility, Andrew. It is still possible that the wow signal came from an extraterrestrial source broadcasting uh, that frequency, sending its signal out into space to say, here we are, uh, we're broadcasting on the hydrogen frequency. Uh, it's what everybody's looking at. If there are other everybody's in space, um, here we are. This is the best way to tell people about it. Of course, uh, the, it, the downside is we have not heard of it ne- since. Never heard of it again. That's right. It's This bit of sky has been analysed to death. It's actually in the constellation of Sagittarius, which it means it's towards the centre of our galaxy. Uh, and that's the more concentrated uh, uh, part of our galaxy. It's where there are more stars. So in that sense, it, it is very interesting. It could have been an extraterrestrial signal. 
but has never been repeated. It mm. was a cry for help or something like that. Who could knows? Have been, could have been. Is there any suggestion that it was some kind of natural phenomenon? Yeah, many, of course, because because scientists are pretty boring people. The first <laughs> thing they look for is a natural, you know, a natural cause for something like that. And we've jumped to the to the you know the um, perhaps the more uh, speculative uh, idea right at the beginning. But yes, there are other possibilities, most of which have been kind of ruled out. Um, there is. One, the one most recent one that really got a, quite a fair bit of credibility uh, was in 2017, and two comets were in roughly the right position. Um, two comets, members of our own solar system, which uh, we believe would have been surrounded by their own clouds of hydrogen. Um, so maybe the telescope was simply picking up these comets um, as they went past because they were nearby, certainly relatively nearby compared with anything out in deep space. Um, and maybe they were the source of the wow signal. But that's had a lot of criticism. You know, it turns out that the comets were not exactly in the beam at the right time ah. um, the comets are not really that radio bright in the in the frequency of natural hydrogen um, and you know why why should that have happened uh, questions of that sort have always been thrown at this and the bottom line is um, it's it's it doesn't have an explanation so the wow signal remains a mystery yeah, and I suppose they've already looked into the possibility of equipment malfunctions and glitches and things like that all of the above that's right yeah. um uh, yeah the, everything seemed to be working perfectly and uh you know the conditions were right there was nothing in the way no natural so uh, sorry artificial sources no um <clears throat> foreign power satellites flying through your dish at the time when uh, when you want to be looking really interesting stuff as an astronomer fred do you have a theory just you know a question without notice yeah, well, I'm bo I'm a boring scientist, so I think uh, at the end <laughs> of the day, natural. a natural explanation will yeah. be found. And uh, we'll all go, oh, of course that's what it yeah, was. Of course it was that. Yeah, I, I tried to open the garage too many times. <laughs> that's what it was. Um, and uh, I, I just remembered what we discussed last time about the wow signal, and that was the fact that the search was reignited recently. They were... That, that I think well, the, the plan was to go and have another look for it. Yeah, and have another look. That's right. And I guess in that regard, it's part of, you know, Breakthrough Listen is the is the current big thing in terms of uh, listening to or looking for signals from an extraterrestrial intelligence. This is the uh, thing funded by Yuri Milner. Uh, uh, it's Breakthrough Initiatives. It's all about looking for extraterrestrial life. And $100 million worth has been spent on two radio telescopes, one here in Australia, one in, in the United States, to upgrade them so that they can spend a, roughly a quarter of their time uh, looking for extraterrestrial signals. You can, bet that, you can bet your boots that the source of the wow or the site of the wow signal is one of the first places well, they the, look. The focal point, yes, yeah. most definitely. All right. Uh, Tom, thank you um, for the question. Hopefully we've uh, filled in some blanks for you. We can't tell you what it was, but uh, your guess is as good as ours at this point in time. But uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the question. And Fred, thank you. It's uh, been a pleasure as always. 
Great to talk to you, Andrew, and we'll speak again soon. Indeed we will. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory and from me, Andrew Dunkley, that wraps us up. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again next time. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.